as I've had children and grown older, my fears, particularly of heights, have proportionally, maybe exponentially, have grown or increased. I have talked a little bit about this before. As a parent, for me as a father, there is the instinct to protect, to guard, to keep my children safe. Sometimes that's rational thinking. More often than not, it's irrational thinking. Right? For a toddler, a young child, we guide and we guard them right near streets as we are we about to cross them with cars passing by. We, we grab their hands and we walk across the street with them. We don't just let them go, right, near maybe cliff edges, if you're like me, you grab hold of them tightly so they don't aimlessly or clumsily stumble over as they get distracted by things around them. (coughs) Here's the thing. The protection and keeping of the child safe is not dependent upon the strength or even the will of the child to hold on to the parent. The child will let go or try to let go or just won't have the strength. The protection of keeping, of protecting, of guarding is dependent upon the will and the strength of the parent and the grip of their hand. So it is with God and us. God is keeping us. God is is protecting and guarding us. We are not keeping God. The relationship with God is dependent upon his strength, his will, his love for us, not yours. Praise be to God for that. We are not holding fast to God, but he is holding fast to us. As we continue to look uh, in John chapter 17, as we get back to into that, this is Jesus' high priestly prayer. And we are reminded first and foremost that Jesus is the great, the last, and the only high priest that we ever need. And what's the, what's the high priest's role? The high priest's role for Israel was to be a mediator between God and his people. And so the people would bring the sacrifices to the mediator. The mediator will offer the sacrifices to God. Now, here's the thing about Jesus. He is the last priest, the last sacrifice that needs to happen, the last one that presents the last sacrifice. He is the mediator, but he's not just the mediator. He's God himself. And he's just not God himself, but he's also the representation of the new humanity. He's the real humanity, the recreated humanity, the new Adam. He's all three of those people. (coughs) Excuse me on that. Jesus is not just the one who offers the sacrifice for our sins. He is the sacrifice of our sins. And so even now, right now, Jesus' task is not done. Jesus is still at the right hand of the Father praying for us perhaps in a similar prayer that he prayed in John 17. He is at the right hand, whispering in the Father's ear, whispering through the Spirit in our ear. He is praying, advocating on our behalf. This is the context of the prayer of John 17. Remember that this prayer 
is done in the immediate context just before he's going to be betrayed. And just after this prayer, Jesus is going to say, we're going to leave this room. We're going to go to the garden, and he's going to be betrayed on the way. He's going to be arrested. And within 12 hours, he's going to be crucified. Jesus is going to die. And with this in mind, Jesus, knowing this, not his disciples, Jesus, what does he do? He turns to prayer. He turns to relationship with his Father, which is just another reminder to us as an example, that in all the moments of our life, that in the, the, the high moments, the low moments, the, the moments of stress, the moments of anxiety, the moments when you think you need to solve something, the first step, perhaps sometimes the only step, is this turn to God, to pray, to be in relationship with Him, to trust Him in these moments. And in this prayer that Jesus prays in 17, we talked about that Jesus has kind of three parts to this prayer. He prays for himself, which we learned a couple of weeks ago that his prayer for himself was to glorify me, Father. And that glorify me was connected to it. Glorify me, lift me on the cross so that I can glorify your people. That I, can, I could do the task at hand and then return me to my pre-incarnate splendor next to you, Father. And today we're going to talk about he prays for his disciples. Jesus turns and prays the Father for his disciples. Let's dive into that prayer. John 17, 6 through 8. Jesus says to the Father, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Who is Jesus praying for? He's not praying for every person in the world. He's very specific about who he's praying for in this moment. It is to the ones whom the Father has given the Son, particularly Lord, you've given me some that are out of the world. You have given them. <coughs> I'm sorry about that. At nine through t- verses 9 through 10 in John 17. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I mean, he's very specific. I am not praying for everyone. I'm only praying specifically for the people that you have given me out of the world. And we know that John, just a reminder, that John's use use of this word world, how he he would define it, is this fallen moral order and act of rebellion against God. Another, a fancy way of saying sin and rebellion against God, the the world that is opposed to God. So these people that, that were out of the world, that were opposed to you, that you have given me. I just want to remind you that God's love and grace is given to all creation, all the time. This, I'm going to dive a little bit deep here. Let's do some heavy lifting, uh, and we'll talk about more of this later. But this is called the doctrine of the simplicity of God. 
So God is not one thing here and another thing here or acts one way here and acts another way here. The, the, the God is a whole, always the same. He is unchanging. He's, he's always all parts of all things that he is. God is love in all moments of his existence, in all moments of his actions. God is holy in all moments of his... God is... When, he, when he's wrathful, when it talks about being wrathful, that is not unloving. That actually is all who he is all the time. You can't separate it out. You and I separate those things out in the way we act. We are not like God. But God is all, all those things all the time. That's the doctrine and simplicity of God. And so God is always loving to all people, period. He is graceful to all people, period. He is holy in all moments, period. Uh, Bavik calls this understanding that he's graceful and merciful and loving to all people. He calls this the material call. Uh, another way we would call that is the general revelation that all of creation calls and speaks out the, who God is. It's just, it's whisper, we, we hear that in the Psalms, in Psalm 19. It's speaking and proclaiming the greatness of God. And because God is the creator of all things, that's a love that he has. But God also has a special love, what we call a covenantal love, love of promise, given to a certain people that he has chosen before the foundation of the world. That is love and mercy, just as it is love and mercy to all the people that he hasn't chosen. It's the, it's the same God. It's the same character. It's the same action. It's just different. Now just begin to wrap your mind around that a little bit. The Father, to get this point, has chosen a people before the foundation of the world. The Father gives them, these people, to the Son. Says, you're to do something. The son's job is to secure their salvation. All people are unjust. All people are sinners. The father gives these people, secure their salvation. How does Jesus do that? He lives the perfect life. He goes to the cross, pays their penalty. He prays on their behalf. He's resurrected. He makes all these things that God does. Jesus accomplishes the salvation for us. And, of course, we know that we have the spirit that also uh, uh, applies that into our lives as well. The, and the point, the point I want you to understand, there's these two people, right? There's the people that Jesus has accomplished salvation for. We talked about that two weeks ago, limited atonement, and those that he doesn't. Like Jesus' blood is sufficient, his sacrifice is sufficient for all people. It is only efficient, effective for some. We could talk about a little bit more about this, but that's not the point of the sermon today. We get that, but let's go to 6 8, right? So we know who he's praying for. He's praying for the people that he's called out. Jesus said, I have to the Father, I have manifested your name to the people whom you've gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them. And they have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Jesus says, I have manifested the Father's name. Now, we've used this term like, when we talk about the name of God. 
Just recently, we have de- we defined that. When he's talking about the I have manifested your name, he's really saying, I have manifested your character. I have manifested not just what people call you, but who you are to all people. That I, I, I have made the invisible God visible for all people. This is what Jesus is saying. I have made this manifest. We, we talked about this several weeks ago when we, we pray in the name of Jesus. Right? It's not some magical incantation, but it's actually in the mindset that we actually pray in the will and the character of God. When we pray in the character of God, right, all those prayer requests will happen. Right? Now, God is actually helping us, gives us the spirit to pray on our behalf or pray when we don't even know how to pray. But that's the idea. When we pray in the name, we pray in the character or the very character of who God is. Jesus says they have kept your word. They have kept your word. The people that you gave me kept your word. This is not saying that they have been obedient to every jot and tittle of the moral law. This is not what he's saying. Jesus knows better than that. Uh, but he's saying they have kept the gift of the obedience of faith, as the Romans would call it. They have trusted you. They have been faithful to you. And verse 8 clarifies this a little bit more. What have they had faith in? What do they trust and verse 8 says, they received the teaching of Jesus and they believed in Jesus particularly was sent from the Father. This is what they believed. They have kept your word in that matter. They have believed and trusted. They're beginning as much as they can to understand who Jesus is and they have trust. The point here, which we get a little bit deeper in our doctrine, is that faith is not the means of our salvation. Our obedience of faith does not say, ha-ha, then you're therefore saved because of that faith. But it is the gift and fruit of God that he gives us to learn to trust in him more. So we know Jesus is praying for his disciples. What does he pray specifically for them? This is where it gets interesting. What does he pray specifically for us? John 17, 11. Jesus says to the Father, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Now, a couple of incredible things here just to note. And this is Jesus often speaks that. He speaks in a past tense to a future reality. Jesus has, has a, an experience of, a, of something that he knows it's going to happen. We, like this under, but this is often he does it. He speaks like, I have accomplished this already. This has happened. I am no longer in the world. But yet Jesus actually is still in the world. Point is, Jesus is eternal, right? This is this internal dialogue with the eternal Father and the eternal Son, with the eternal Spirit. He prays for them, keep them in your name. The prayer to Jesus says, Father, keep them, guard them, protect them, preserve them. The Father who chose his people in eternity and then gave them to his son for his son to secure thou salvation, Jesus now turns back and prays to the Father, those that you have given me, 
I'm leaving. I'm out of here. Can you guard them? Can you keep them? Can you protect them? Can you preserve them? This is his prayer for them. And it's, which is really interesting, it's not keeping them by or because of his character, which certainly is the truth. The Father keeps us by his very character because it's who he is. He will keep his people. But that's not what he says. Prepositions are important. And this is not the preposition that he used. He says, keep them in your character. What a fascinating term there. What he's saying to the Father, Father, keep them loyal. This is your job. Keep them in full adherence to your character, to who you are. Keep them in firm faithfulness to the revelation of me. You see, salvation is not about our faithfulness. Jesus gets to it at this prayer. It's about God's faithfulness to us. He keeps us. That's the prayer. He doesn't pray to the Father, Father, may they keep you. May they hold fast to you. May they, may they stay faithful to you. That's not his prayer. His prayer is, Father, keep them. I know who they are. Keep them. Protect them. Guard them. Preserve their heart. Preserve them in your very character. Our faithfulness is a direct result of his faithfulness to us. This is why we don't get praise for our faithfulness. You don't get praise for anything. All God gets the glory for everything. The Father keeps us, and therefore we keep Jesus. That's the way it goes. Let's, let's play this out a little bit even more in Scripture. In Jude 1, Jude, who is the brother of Jesus, the very first verse, and it says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who, he, who are called for the foundation of the world, beloved in God the Father, are kept for Jesus Christ. Who does the keeping? God is keeping his people for his son. Father is keeping. Or it's not the people are keeping Jesus for the Father. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again Again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So let's backtrack before I finish it. The Father who's, who causes us to be born again, we don't cause ourselves to be born again, right? You have nothing to do with your birth, physical or spiritual. The Father causes this, and then he keeps our inheritance. He preserves it, keeps it for us. goes on. Who by God's power are being guarded. You and I are being guarded by the power of God through faith. This is God's act for us, that he is guarding us. He's protecting us. He's giving us faith through the, through the mechanism of faith for a salvation ready to reveal the last time that's kept in heaven for us. Whew, that's an amazing prayer. That tells us a lot about what God is doing. 
about who God is, about who we are. Now, I t- two weeks ago when we talked about limited atonement, we're not going to talk about that again, but we use that phrase TULIP, right? It's that uh, clever acronym for the doctrines of grace, which uh, re- rise up from the response of the remonstratives, the, the, the protest in the uh, 1600s in the Netherlands that uh, are arguing against the doctrines of grace and say, and they come up with the five points, and so the Synod of Dort came by, and they didn't use TULIP because they didn't speak English. So that's one thing. But they had the five points that said that, no, you are, you are wrong in these five points, and this is what Scripture says. This is what the faith is. And so we have backtracked and used TULIP because the Netherlands have TULIPs and, uh, of these five doctrines. And so those five doctrines are total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. Jesus' prayer for us in John 17 is the perseverance of the saints. Jesus is asking for the perseverance of the saints. Now, here's what I would say about that P, about that word perseverance. That actually is not a great moniker for the P in TULIP. Because perseverance, at least for me, implies the connotation that I'm actually doing or accomplishing something, that I am persevering in the faith. Look what I'm doing for God. That's what, what the doctrines of grace. This is about a doctrine of grace. So this is what God is doing for us. So I think a better way, a better P would be uh, preserves. God preserves his saints. This is what God, God chooses, God keeps, God guards, God preserves his saints, his chosen people forever because it's all, salvation is all about what God does, not what we do. It is God's glory. So uh, another way you can think about this doctrine is once saved, always saved. Ever heard that kind of phrase, right? Not very helpful. But because the, but the point is that it's actually God's work, not your work. That you and I are fallen people that will continue to sin until the day we die. So another way of thinking about it is people express faith. This is how we would talk, how I would talk about it. People would express faith and then fall away and denounce faith, right? We could say, well, they never actually had faith because faith is actually a gift that God perseveres for them or preserves them in. Here's what I would also say about that. Look at all I know is what's in my heart. I don't know what's in your heart. I can see evidence of God in your life. I can see evidence of the fruit of God in your life. But only you know what's in your own heart. Uh, and so I don't know if you had faith. or if you're, uh, What I do know in life is that faith ebbs and flows in our life. That we're all on our different trajectory of sanctification, different points in our lives. And so I try not to be too judgmental of a person and where they're at in that moment. Uh, always wanting us to walk together in that as well. But here's, here's what I want to get at, is that First uh, John 2.19, uh, this goes to the, the once saved, always saved. Uh, they were f- out from us, John says, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were all not of us. So those are people that denounce the face, that it becomes obvious once they eventually go away that they were never actually a part of us. A further example uh, of this amazing doctrine of grace, that God 
preserves us. This is the prayer that Jesus says, keep them, Father. Let's go in verse uh, 12 through 14 in John 17. While I was with them, Jesus speaking to his Father, while I was, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has lost except the son of destruction. We'll talk about son of destruction in just a moment. That the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you that these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Now that is really interesting. Pin this for a moment. He told us at the very beginning of this prayer that we are in the world. Now he says we're not of the world. Well, that is interesting in this prayer. But, but this is, again, Jesus saying, like, I have guarded, I protected. Now, Father, my prayer is that you guard, you protect, I'm returning to you. Now, can I disorient you a little bit more? Can I push this doctrine a little bit more for you? Are you ready? Don't be mad at me. This is, this is the word of God here, right? So let's, let's look at this, how this doctrine applies and how Scripture speaks about Peter and Judas. In Luke 22, 31 to 32, Simon, Simon, Jesus says, Behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. Simon, Simon is Peter. But I have prayed for you that, you may ha- that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Just think what Jesus just said there. To Peter. He says, look at Peter. You don't know what really happened here, but Satan was demanding you. Satan was asking for it. You see, Satan didn't have the power just to take Peter. He had to ask. He demanded to have you. But Jesus, look, he says, I prayed, Peter, for you to the Father. I prayed on your behalf. I prayed that in the same prayer of John 17, to keep you, to protect you, to guard you. And think about what he just said. He actually predicts Peter's denial, but he tells Peter in this. Peter doesn't hear the last part of this. He says, you're going to deny me, you're going to fail me, but then you're going to turn back, and you're going to lead people. Like Peter doesn't hear that last part. He just hears, well, I'm going to deny you? What? But Jesus tells him the whole thing. But before they says, look at why are you worried? I prayed for you. I prayed for the Father to keep you, to preserve you. Same chapter in Luke 22, verses 3 through 4. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was one of the number of the twelve, the son of destruction. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. I just want you to hear what Jesus says, look, Satan entered Judas. Now, he just told you the dynamic about later on about what's going on with Peter. Satan demanded Peter. means Satan has to ask. This is, you, you go back to the book of Job, right? Satan doesn't just has, gets to do whatever he wants. He is limited in his power. He is not sovereign. And then we have this dialogue between uh, God and Satan and Job. And we see this kind of interesting revealed to us this kind of interesting dialogue that Satan is having with the Father, with God, regarding Peter and Judas. And here we, say, we can presume Satan asked for Judas. 
You see, Jesus, what, Jesus wasn't one of the chosen. He wasn't kept. Jesus didn't say, I prayed for Judas. He, Judas had to play a part in all of this. I want to get back to that. I, I know that was really heavy. That may be disorienting to you. It should be. It also should be incredibly peaceful and joyful if you think about it beyond the interpretation of our modern ways of thinking that life is about me and all my choices. But I just want to get back to that doctrine of simplicity of God. Every moment, God is graceful and loving. Everything, every moment, every breath of every moment of existence, of creation, of all things is a moment of grace and love. God is always who he is. God is always who he is. I want you to think about it as this way, is that all of creation is proclaiming the glory and the grace and the love and the character of God is. And we, because of our sin, are like uh, people with headphones on or earbuds. That's probably right, earbuds. Have you ever tried to talk to someone with earbuds on? And they got that music or podcast going. You kind of have to yell really loud or tap them because they don't hear. What, because now they're like noise counseling. And people like go oh, running or walking with these things. Do you not hear that? Hey, so you, like you're, you're not, you don't actually hear what's going on in the world. You hear the noise in your head. I think that's what sin is like. And so what has to happen is that God has to knock on your shoulder, remove the earbuds, so you actually begin to hear what's really happening, that God is speaking. All, all of creation is speaking about the glory of God. And Jesus is praying, look at, he says that they are no longer of the world. They were once of the world. But now, because of what Jesus has accomplished, what God has given them to accomplish for us, is he's pulled us that we're no longer of the world, right? World being followed this fallen moral order and active rebellion. You see, you and I no longer belong to the rebellion against God. Even though you and I still sin, we no longer belong to that. We are declared that we are not of that world order anymore. But Jesus says they are still in the world, just like, you see, Jesus was never of the world. But he was in the world. And now he's saying, they are like me. They are not of the world anymore because I have given them your character. I've declared them righteous. But now they are in the world. You see, God has rescued us. He's taken the, the headphones off of us and let us see, uh, hear the true reality and the whisper of all creation. And with that in mind, let's even notice Jesus' prayer particularly. I do not ask them to take them out of the world. He specifically says it. Do not take them out of this world. Meaning, keep them, but that, but that keep them from the evil one. Don't remove them from this physical place. Keep them there. But keep them from the evil one. Which is this prayer. Of, it's the same prayer. Keep them, protect them, guard them. The prayer is to preserve them from the evil one. From the one who is demanding and asking for them. Isn't that interesting? I want you to just think about this eternal reality that Satan is asking God for you. You don't need them, Father. Let me have them. And here's the prayer. 
that the Son prays on our behalf. Keep them. Protect them from the evil one. Preserve them, Lord, just as I have preserved them while I've been in this world. You may have noticed this term evil one, right? When we say the Lord's Prayer at this church, I don't know if you notice it, but we translate it here as the evil one, right? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from, normally we say evil, but many of the manuscripts actually would say evil one, right? That actually is a better understanding of what's actually happening in that prayer and corresponding to what's happening in Jesus' prayer in 17 and the rest of Scripture is that where the prayer is, Lord, keep us from the evil one. Don't, don't hand us over. Preserve. Keep us. Okay. So Jesus' amazing prayer is, Lord, keep us, preserve us, make us faithful. But why would he say, keep them, protect them, guard them, but let them stay in the world? Why, why can't we just go be with Jesus? Yeah, I mean, like, wh- wh- let's, what's, let's end this charade and let's go. John 17, 8, he says, as you, Jesus says, as the Father, as you have sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. He's not having us to stay in the world just for the fun of it. He's actually sending us into the world. He's taken us out of the moral rebellion of the world, and now he's sending us back into it that we're no longer of this moral rebellion, but you have a task and a mission and a purpose. Why was Jesus sent? Let's look back in verse 8. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they received them, and they have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. You see, the task that the Father gave him, not just to secure salvation, but to proclaim the good news to all. To proclaim what he has done, to proclaim so that they may believe, so those that God has called may actually believe. Because we are told that faith, the mechanism of faith, that how God orchestrates it is the ordinary means, is through the, through the actual proclamation of the word, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to us. So we are to proclaim it. Jesus proclaims it. And we are called to go into the world to proclaim it as well. This, this is the Great Commission kind of stuff. That we are supposed to seek and save the lost whom the Father has kept. And we are to proclaim who God is. Just as Jesus has proclaimed, has made the invisible God visible in his words and his actions. Those are never separated. Not an idea that's ever separated in Scripture. And so we are to proclaim in our words and in our actions to be like Christ, that the world may know who God is. Now, I don't know why God decides to use us, why, why he doesn't have a different plan, but I am thankful. I am thankful for this plan because what does it give? It gives me and gives you a purpose and reason for this life. Otherwise, it might just seem aimless. Jesus has united us to him, which means he also has united us to his purpose and for his reason. Like you have a purpose to exist. There's lots of ways that we can enjoy the things that he has given, but you have a purpose. You have a work 
to do. At the very beginning of creation, he gives Adam a work and Eve a work to do. Work is not a bad thing. He gives a purpose for them, and he's now clearly directing what the purpose is for you so that they may, all people may know who Jesus is. Jesus prays to the Father to keep us, to protect us, to guard us forever, to give and preserve us in faithfulness. This is truly what grace is. This truly is the good news. Now, at the very beginning, I gave you an imagery of a parent father holding a child's hand and protecting and guarding that child. I think that's a bit insufficient to describe God. So perhaps we could better view it this way. That you and I are a young, scared toddler, and the world has harmed us in some way. Perhaps it's been physically harmed by just the existence of, in the world. Perhaps it's other people that have harmed us tremendously. And so we're sad. The world has been cruel to us, and we're hurt, and we're teary-eyed. And God is that loving parent that sees that toddler that has been hurt. God doesn't say, suck it up. Pick yourself up. God bends down embraces that child, holds them tightly, just as you would, and gently whispers in our ear, I love you. I love you forever. I've always loved you. I know this circumstance of this moment may seem overwhelming for you, but I got you. I'm here with you. That's the prayer that Jesus prays to the Father. That's the prayer that he's sharing to us. Brothers and sisters, in this immeasurable, incomprehensible love, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit keeps us forever. God is holding us fast in every moment. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, There are days that I could not take on without this knowledge. The things of this world are overwhelming. The pain and the harm that I cause and that others cause are overwhelming to me. I thank you that my relationship with you is not dependent upon me, not dependent upon my love because it will grow cold but it's dependent upon your love and your grace and your mercy. That you're a God that loves in ways that I'll never understand. Grow, grow us in that love today. Grow us in that understanding. Lord, continue to protect us and guard us today and keep us from the evil one as you has promised long ago. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's children said, Amen. Amen. Amen.